Opinions and ideas expressed in the following Moraine Valley Broadcast Channel recording are those of its creators and do not represent the views of Moraine Valley Community College. Hello and welcome to This Made Me Laugh podcast with me, Peter Granado. Today we'll be talking about Rick and Morty, which was my text, as well as Snatched, Date Night, and Hassan Minaj, Homecoming King. So first I'm going to talk about Rick and Morty. To summarize why I picked Rick and Morty, I thought that because the show is popular, there's obviously a lot of appeal to a wide array of audience. I thought that the other things that I'm reviewing are either movies or stand-up comedy, so I should pick something different. I picked a TV show that's an cartoon format. And I think that Rick and Morty does a very good job of being funny and accessible and not being very cerebral and involved while also fitting in a lot of more philosophical, deeper things into the message that occurred during their plot line. And so to summarize the two episodes I picked, the first was Me Seeks and Destroy, which was season one, episode five. And they're is typically two plots in Rick and Morty, like an A plot and a B plot, where the A plot focuses on Rick and Morty out on their adventure in some other dimension that Rick brings them to with his interdimensional portal gun being the great scientist he is, and the second being the rest of the family that's at home and how they're coping with the ramifications of living with Rick Sanchez, the greatest scientist in the multiverse. So the A plot is focused on Rick and Morty going on this adventure that Morty chooses, because at the very beginning, Morty's on this particularly traumatic adventure, and he threatens to quit all adventures with Rick. So Rick gets a deal with him where Morty gets to pick one in every ten adventures. So they're on this adventure, and it's set in this cliche, medieval, almost Dungeons and Dragons-y, like, setting, and there's this giant beanstalk to this giant's castle that has so, so much gold and stuff, and the poor villagers want him to bring the gold down. And then the B-plot focuses on something that arises in the very beginning of the episode, and everyone's coming to Rick because they want help with various things, and Rick has to go on the adventure with Morty, so he gives them this box, and he calls it a Meeseeks box. You hit the big blue button on the top, and this blue stick figure-like person appears out of nowhere to fulfill the purpose that you give it, and then it disappears. And to watch this Meeseeks character that's just spontaneously brought into the show just as spontaneously as it's brought into being when you hit the button. And it's at first very, you know, happy, absurd, and carefree. It has this crazy voice. It's very weird, and it looks very unrealistic. It's very zany and cartoony. This is a Meeseeks box. Let me show you how it works. You press this. I'm Mr. Meeseeks. Look at me. You make a request. Mr. Meeseeks, open Jerry's stupid mayonnaise jar. Yes, sirree. So Meeseeks fulfills the request. All done! Wow! And then it stops existing. Oh my god, he exploded! Trust me, they're fine with it. Knock yourselves out! But by the end of the episode, things escalate and escalate because of the Meeseeks being unable to fulfill its purpose, that they have, you know, a hostage situation, they have guns, they're holding one of the family members to finally either fulfill their purpose, they want to take two strokes off their golf game, so either they have to do that so the Meeseeks can go away, or the Meeseeks are going to kill that person so that all strokes are going to be taken off of the golf game. And to see that kind of transition from a... Ooh, yeah, can do! Funny, you know, kind of Spongebob or 
kid's cartoon character into this very intense existential, you know, borderline murderer is really funny. And then the speech at the end that the Meeseeks does is hilarious. Look, Meeseeks are not born into this world, fumbling for meaning, Jerry. We are created to serve a singular purpose for which we will go to any lengths to fulfill. Existence is pain to a Meeseeks, Jerry, and we will do anything to alleviate that pain. And then the second episode is about Morty likes this girl named Jessica and his school has this annual flu season dance and he wants to be Jessica's date, but he has no opportunity to talk to Jessica. So he goes to Rick and he says, Rick, can you make me some kind of potion that will make Jessica like me? And after a brief argument, Rick gives him this potion and he gives it to Jessica. But the one thing Rick never mentioned is that there are side effects of this potion if she has the flu. And of course, it's the flu season dance. So she has the flu. This potion piggybacks off of the flu virus and starts infecting everyone in the school, including, you know, the dean and various teachers. And then it keeps going past that to infect more and more people in America and then other countries and the world to the point where everyone is just madly in love with Morty. And then Rick has to craft some kind of MacGyver genetic potion to counteract the first potion. And this just keeps going more and more wrong until everyone is just this genetic mess of different creatures. And so at the end of the episode, it kind of pokes fun at science fiction. It's satirical and it's like Rick has all these, you know, machines and gadgets that can let him travel throughout dimensions. And he's also the smartest man in the multiverse. So Evidently, if the many worlds interpretation of quantum dynamics is correct, then Rick has a dimension where he solved the problem. And then also, because there's infinitely many dimensions, Rick, in one of those dimensions where he solved the problem, also dies along with Morty right around the time when they would need to get out of the dimension that Rick ruined. So the solution to the plot at the end of the episode is that Rick and Morty just portal out into a different dimension where Rick solved everything. It was great. He had some sort of genius moment. this time i mean I, I really thought that the whole place was going to be messed up for good but here you did it you you you, you figured out that crazy solution like you always do Whew, that's some great luck come on morty luck had nothing to do with it i'm great that's the real reason and then the two of them die so they bury their dead bodies and then lead a normal life as if everything got fixed by rick from there so I thought that was really funny. I really liked the dark humor at the end where they have to bury their dead bodies. There's some kind of quote where Morty's freaking out about burying his dead body. I mean, he sees himself dead on the floor. He's like... All right, Morty, here we are. Oh, my God, Rick! Is that us? We're dead! What is going on, Rick? I'm freaking out! And Rick says... It's fine. Everything is fine. There's an infinite number of realities, Morty. And in a few dozen of those, I got lucky and turned everything back to normal. I just had to find one of those realities in which we also happen to both die around this time. Now we can just slip into the place of our dead selves in this reality, and everything will be fine. We're not skipping a beat, Morty. And Morty's still freaking out, and then Rick doesn't really understand, so he says, Now help me with these bodies. This is insane. Look, Morty, I'll grab myself. You grab yourself, okay? I mean, that, that, that seems fair to me. I mean, that seems like a fair way to divvy it up. Rick! What about the reality we left behind? What about the reality where Hitler cured cancer, Morty? The answer is don't think about it. And I thought that it sort of demonstrates the hilarity of Rick's apathy, as well as the sort of more philosophical things that they're fitting into the show, like seeing yourself die and how that would affect someone in the way that Morty sort of evolves as a character throughout the show from being a very mediocre, normal, unpopular teenage boy to being some sort of hero, this sort of brave 
well-rounded, well-experienced, battle-tested person that he ends up being. I think it's very fascinating and very compelling to watch that. To go over some of what you need to understand about the show, the audience is mostly older people. The show airs on Adult Swim. The purpose is mainly entertainment and comedy, but there are, like I said, some philosophical arguments and philosophical ideas sort of threaded into the fabric of the show. And the medium is a cartoon, and it's not very sophisticated, not very realistic looking. It's two-dimensional, and it's on TV. The genre is science fiction or comedy, so the science fiction elements are evident by, you know, like the Me Seeks box, which is this, you know, incredible... uh, feat of engineering and science where you can hit a button and some being that is summoned that just wants to fulfill the purpose that you give it comes when you hit the button or Rick's portal gun which lets him travel throughout different dimensions in the multiverse and then the comedy aspect comes from things like Rick being you know the alcoholic grandfather to Morty taking him on adventures it sort of mirrors back to the future and Rick is sort of a apathetic more or less nihilist character who does things for fun, which makes it a very compelling comedy show because you get to see this larger-than-life, almost godlike figure just sort of do things because he has no sort of hero-like standards of what he wants to achieve or greater picture purpose sort of thing. The conventions that you'll see that really support sci-fi are aliens. Meeseeks is sort of like an alien blue-stick figure person. You'll see these gadgets from the future like Rick's portal gun or you'll see Rick in a lab coat all the time. It's very science fiction-y. Or you'll see him moving between dimensions or even his he has a spacecraft that he uses and it's sort of like a UFO shape flying saucer almost that him and Morty use for getting around like an automobile. So the, there's a lot of pretty heavy sci-fi conventions. And then the style that the authors are trying to get across is sort of absurd. They're kind of going into the absurdity of different situations that everyday people experience, but they're exploring it with Rick, who's this larger-than-life scientist who has superpowers based off of his genius, but also no real moral compass. So it really exploits the absurdity because Rick will just say what he feels. He'll talk very directly and objectively. He'll talk about valuing science and not caring about other people's sort of wishy-washy humanness. Um, The tone is a lot of sarcasm. It takes on a lot of science fiction tropes and then turns them on their head in a sort of um, absurd way. So the tone and the style really work together because they explore science fiction through this sarcastic lens, which leads to absurdity, as well as a kind of comedic tone, which is that a lot of the hard and traumatic things that we face can be seen as funny if you take a step back or the audience and you're watching some scientist and his grandkid go on these adventures. And then the voice that we're seeing is often satirical. They'll take a lot of everyday situations and then talk about how they could have gone or how strange they are. Or they'll even poke fun at things. Like in the first episode, um, the one where Morty picks the adventure, they're in this medieval town, which is sort of satiring, you know, Dungeons and Dragons or whatever, because it's medieval. The people are in kind of like cloth, and it's not modern at all. They they speak old English. So it's sort of satiring that. And then there's a giant beanstalk that leads up to a giant's house, which is, you know, satiring the old Jack and the Beanstalk uh, fairy tale. So you get a lot of satirical voice, as well as the voice of the show is also kind of philosophical. It explores a lot of 
issues about creator and the created, kind of like almost a God thing. And it explores meaning in life, especially in these episodes. Me Seeks directly talk about having meaning in their life. And then the context of the show is mostly understood through who the authors are, as well as the sort of family dynamic that's set up where Rick is sort of this grandfather who left. He's very apathetic. Like I said, he's, you know, kind of nihilist. And he's Beth, which is Morty's mom's father. So it's kind of this dysfunctional family that is more or less relatable because it's not obscenely dysfunctional, but it's also kind of everyday scenarios going too far. And so to talk about the authors, it's created by Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland. Justin Roiland is mostly responsible for a lot of the comedic parts, the more funny, carefree, and sort of out there parts of the show. Like Me Seeks was... Justin Roiland's idea, and a lot of the cartoony, zany characters that are just sort of absurd and funny is where Justin Roiland's part is. And then Dan Harmon did shows like Community and Harmon Quest, and he's more of a story-based, plot-based comedian where he likes philosophical arguments, he likes to make it meaningful, he likes there to be a deeper plot that gets you hooked. And to go along and support that, I actually have a clip of Dan Harmon talking about Rick and Morty, and I'm going to play that right now. I know, that is a fun thing for me. The idea that we have gods, we search for meaning, and we think of that as the highest thought we can have. Who made me, and I'm going to make other things. What is my purpose? You pass butter. Oh my god. Yeah, welcome to the club, pal. So that's sort of Dan Harmon's philosophy on meaning and the way he threads that into the show. So with that being said, I'm going to get to Snatched, which was recommended by Allie. And so I didn't really like Snatched. I thought it was funny in some moments, but it it relied heavily on a lot of cliches. And it tries to sort of do this reality humor where it talks about real life scenarios and kind of pokes fun at different things that people do. Or the the main character is played by um, Amy Schumer and... Her entire trope is sort of a female comedian is sort of embodied by, you know, being kind of sexually interested, but also less attractive than she wants to be. Her comedic style is very repetitive and it's not as engaging as something that would have been more political because the show is about, you know, taking an exotic vacation to South America and then getting kidnapped and being brought to Colombia. There's no real political commentary there. It's more about just, you know, she's kind of almost a loser in the show. Like she doesn't have friends that'll go with her. So she has to go with her mom. And so it's a lot of, she finds like an attractive guy and she wants to hook up with him, but then she ends up getting kidnapped because of this guy. And I I don't think that it's very engaging, the style of comedy that the show uses. I think that it's, almost sort of making Amy Schumer out to rely on being a woman to be funny in her comedy. And I don't think that's true. There are so many really brilliant, really hilarious female comedians. And I I wish that the show really let Amy Schumer take her comedic background and push it to something that's universally really funny and less reliant on very specific social situations or cliches that you'll see. So then... The second show is Date Night, which is very character-based. It ha- it has a 
basically boring married couple in New Jersey who are in like the routine patterns of interaction from day to day and it becomes this huge um, adventure for them where they have to go through all these hurdles of you know police and these people that are involved in this situation they're asking for a flash drive and they're willing to pull a gun or kill them for this flash drive and they're in a hostage situation they have to escape and it's very action based very high stakes it's not entirely suspenseful but I thought this was pretty funny I think that the ending had a, a very simple resolution to the plot because it's almost like everything that they planned on doing worked once you got to the end of the movie it's almost seemed like they just wanted to get the movie over with um and they never really explained a lot of things like there's police coming in and a SWAT team coming in and different involved characters with this flash drive this flash drive supposedly has you know, incriminating evidence against some government official, but that government official was bribing a different government official. And so it doesn't really explain the intricacies of how the husband set up this, you know, master plan at the end to get everyone in the same spot when the police come and have the police timing just right. It has sort of a cliche of the, you know, very mediocre husband being held up against some larger than life, you know, very muscular, military intelligence, sort of ideal person. And then it sort of explores the comedy of the husband's feelings of inferiority to this man. And it it was sort of a letdown that the ending was so predictable almost, that the, the entire plan would work and that the parents would get to go back to their kids. And however, I did appreciate that it had a lot of character-based humor, like the man was some sort of, you know, boring sort of businessman, like he does taxes in New Jersey, and his wife is, you know, a real estate agent, and they're just kind of in this routine pattern of very normal people, and they have to go on this huge thing where the wife at one point has to pretend to be a stripper, or the man has to hold a gun and take control of a room of two kind of more street people who are the real um, criminals in this case, who have this illegal flash drive that has incriminating evidence against government officials. So these people who are getting by on illegal things, and he has to sort of be almost like the more macho gangster in the situation. It's, It's funny to watch them develop a character that's sort of awkward and normal, take control of very drastic, very visceral and vulgar situations and then finally i'm i watched uh hassan minaj homecoming king which was stand up by hassan minaj and it sort of takes this sassy perspective to explore the life of being an indian american and the sort of alienation that he goes through and the various things that go along with that like getting married to a hindu girl when you're a a muslim indian american and it was. I thought it was really funny. I really liked this one. I thought that it was a very genuine and very personal sort of stream of consciousness from someone who moved here from India with a vastly different culture, has a vastly different home life from most Americans, and sort of his journey on assimilating into American culture. And of course it was a successful journey because he's a stand-up comedian who has no problem communicating with you know audiences in America and making people laugh. But It was still almost educational to hear about what it's like to be from a different culture, but at the same time, it was hilarious, the different sort of situations that 
he pulls from his personal life. Like, for example, he uh, married a Muslim girl, which I said, and his parents said in Hindi, I think, what would people think? And he says, this is like the most devastating thing you can hear as an Indian kid because when your parents say, what will people think? It means that all all bets are off. Like a star falls from the sky because it's just such a serious thing and your parents don't want to be the outcasts and their close-knit social groups. And it's it's like a very powerful phrase. And to hear that and to hear that when an Indian parent says that it can break apart even someone's plans to get married was really funny, but also really fascinating.